All right, if you got your Bible, Psalm 23 is where we are today. And uh, today I thought it was uh, important that we take a break from our current series to share together a biblical perspective on how to think, feel, live, and ultimately interact with ourselves and even with others and with God during times of deep uncertainty in our life. Many of us are, for many of us, there are moments of fear that are gripping our lives right now to this ongoing pandemic. Even if you aren't feeling it right now, there will certainly be times in your life in the future where circumstances seem overwhelming and fear seems crippling. Fear is also something that many of us struggle with every day, not just because of a pandemic that goes on. Fear is something that can cripple our lives every day. It can overcome us, depress us, defeat us, cause us to lose hope. So I want to begin the study today and just this talk today by taking a moment to challenge us how we think about fear and how we think about hope. I asked people this week actually online last night on Facebook. I took a scientific survey on Facebook and I just said this question, what is the biggest fear about this current pandemic that you're dealing with? And I got all kinds of answers. I think last I checked 40 plus responses to this. And, and here's what I got if you boil it down. Uh, number one fear was a fear of financial impact was by far the number one concern that people expressed. Uh, fear of loss of personal freedom was another fear that people expressed. Uh, fear of civil unrest and irrational behaviors was another one that people uh, expressed. Uh, and I think, you know, our shortage of toilet paper is already showing that as we uh, deal with that. Fear of loss of respect for other people uh, was, a, was a fear that people, and honestly, it was kind of, well, I thought it was a little odd at the bottom, like when I tallied stuff, the actual fear of sickness of themselves or for loved ones was probably the least thing mentioned. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's kind of odd that we don't seem to be walking through this thinking, I'm going to get this as I walk out the door and it's going to cripple me. It's how the impact of a mass and epidemic like this will have broader impacts. But we often even face other fears as well, not just related to this, right? We have a fear of failure in our life, fear of rejection, fear of loneliness. They call the, the one that's out there on social media, the FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. We have fear of all kinds of things, fear of being unloved, fear of being unwanted, the fear of heartbreak and abandonment. The truth is all of these are valid fears. They're valid. We don't need to feel bad for fearing this. There are things that we should have some trepidation about dealing with. Most of us don't wake up in the morning and say, God, will you shower me with things that bring fear into my life? It's not like we want these, but they come into our life anyway. And we have these moments of fear. And so I thought it'd be good to start with asking this question, what is fear itself? When, when we think about fear, it can actually be confused with other feelings in our life because I think there are stages and steps we walk through when it comes to fear. I think fear, sometimes we just startled, right? Something jumps out at you, something scares you, like boom, you just get startled. And startled means this kind of sudden shock or alarm. My grandmother was Deathly, deathly afraid of mice. And like we knew something was wrong. We would be in her house and all of a sudden she would be screaming like she was being attacked. Somebody was, we didn't know what was going on. And we quickly came to learn when she screamed like that, she had seen a mouse or thought she saw a mouse in her house. I mean, she would be startled in an instant if a shadow reminded her. I mean, we've all been startled at points in our life. And startled is not necessarily fear. It's, it's a feeling. There's another feeling we can have, which is that of trepidation. 
which is this kind of agitation about something that, that may happen. We start taking cautious steps. We get angry about it. And like, I remember we had this fake mouse one time that we would, when my grandmother would come up or we would take and like getting close to her, she knew it was fake. She knew it was made of cloth and felt. There was no life in this. But as we would hold it up to her, she would get trepidation. She would, it would remind her, and this fear would you know, start to consume her. And she'd be like, get that away from me. Don't do that again. And when she'd come in the house, she's like, where is that thing? Where is that thing? Don't bring it close to me. And then the next feeling we get is that of actually being scared. We have this increasing anxiety, this unsettledness comes in our life because of a, it seems like it's becoming a constant part of who we are. Like, what am I going to be scared of today? What is coming into my life today? And then we start to live what I would classify as afraid, worried that something undesirable will occur or be done. It's not that maybe, it's now when is it going to happen? When is it going to come into my life? And then that leads us to fear. And fear is actually a state of being is defined by this distraught spirit that creates unbalanced responses. My entire life starts to be built around my fear, the response to it, and we start to lose the vision for anything else. It becomes our only thing that we're consumed with. I remember uh, to end the story of my grandmother and the mouse, there was a, a time we even, she was there, we were having a party at the house, and she was like, don't get that thing out, don't get that thing, and we didn't. But we sent my little cousin over with just his hands like this. There was nothing in his hands. And he's literally chasing her around the kitchen with what she thinks is a fake mouse, scared out of her mind. And she tells my eight-year-old little nephew, she's like, if you get near me with that thing, I'm going to cut you. And I was like, all right, all right, let's, let's back it down a little bit. This was fear in playing an unreasonable response in my grandmother's life. But we all do that at times. We get this fear of what could be. It starts to hang on us, starts to weigh on us, drag us down, consume our thoughts, consume what could be. It's the only thing we start to see, and we live destroyed lives. We've been there. We've been there. And when we think of hope in the midst of fears, we usually think of it in terms of, okay, man, I'm down here. I'm in the devil's not like, my hope is that I get out of this. I get delivered from the consequences or the impact of this fear. Get me out. It's often our prayer. Someone we love gets a bad medical prognosis, or we, and we hope for healing. Someone loses a spouse, and we hope for comfort and companionship. Someone loses a job, and we hope for new work for them. Someone faces a moral failure, and we hope for repentance and restoration. But what happens when these hopes don't come true? What happens when we aren't delivered? delivered? What happens when the pandemic and the financial impact from it continues to grow worse? What happens when someone we love dies and we go months and years without a job, or we descend into depression and darkness, is all hope lost. When we view hope as God not allowing our fears to come true, we will often lose hope. Let me tell you what hope is, though. Hope is not the avoidance of fear. It's also not the avoidance of its consequence. Instead, hope is this. It is the ability to be sustained through our fears and through the challenges they bring. Not necessarily removed, but sustained through it. It isn't asking God to just keep bad things from happening to me. It is understanding that faith is stronger than fear and that hope is more powerful than doubt and true peace can overcome worry at any time. So why don't we get this? Why don't we actually live this out? Why do we tie the concept of hope to avoidance of fear or the avoidance of bad 
consequence? Why is it that we continually feel disappointed when our prayers for healing seemingly go unanswered? Why is it that in the midst of tragedy, we often lose faith instead of having our faith strengthened through it? There's a passage of scripture that has been, I've seen it on social media a lot uh, this week. It's 1 Timothy 1.7, and it simply says this, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. And I love the word self-control because what he's saying is, Timothy, or Paul saying to Timothy is here is like, look, when you face a difficult situation, you're going to. It's not a spirit of fear that should overwhelm you. It is a spirit of controlling yourself under the hope of God to walk through that. And that's what I want us to walk through today. And I think it's because we don't sometimes have a full perspective on what following Christ really is, that we don't understand how to hold on to hope instead of fear. And so I want to read a passage many of you are familiar with, Psalm 23, that I think is a beautiful picture of how holding on to hope can play out in our lives, even in difficult circumstances. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want us to see a few things about this passage as we read it, because I think this is a beautiful journey that this psalm takes us on of going, you know what, there's going to be days of fear, but how do we get through it to the other side? The first thing I want to do is Psalms, the verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd. And think about that word shepherd for a minute. I, I know most of you in here, I don't think any of you have professionally been a shepherd before uh, in your life. Maybe in, you know, growing up, that was your summer job. I'm not sure, but most of us don't, you know, I've not played the role of a shepherd before, but the, the primary role of the shepherd was this. It wasn't just to herd the flock, like, you know, move them from one place to another. His job wasn't necessarily even to protect the flock. That was part of it, to keep, uh, you know, scavengers away, uh, wolves away, people that would protect them. But more than anything, his actual job was to make the flock flourish, for them to grow, for them to become more, you know, self-sustaining, to to increase in strength. It was to make the flock flourish, flourish. His job every day was for the sheep to grow stronger. It wasn't enough if the shepherd just made sure the sheep all made it back in one piece. Instead, it was his task each day to bring the sheep back better off than they were the day they started. The day they started. He shepherded them forward. This is exactly the role of the Lord in our life. It isn't just that he herds us around the city and fights every battle for us and we're oblivious to what's going on. But instead, his role is to instill hope into us. That at the end of the day, that we would trust him more. We would be stronger followers, deeper disciples, and ready to face the next day out whatever fear may come. So how does this happen? I think he lays out this journey from fear to hope. How does he shepherd us each day? Would you allow the Lord to teach you today is the simple question I want to ask is, would you allow the Lord to maybe bring some hope in the times of your life right now where you're feeling fearful? And I think the first step he tells us to take is, uh, sounds like a very simple step, but it's in 
second part of uh, 1, verse 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. He restores my soul. The first way I think that we start moving from fear to hope is to stop. It's just to stop. And that doesn't mean stop going out. And I, I'm, I'm, I understand the importance of social distancing. I understand the importance of hygiene and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not saying stop is not going and hiding in your apartment. Here's what I mean by stop. It's, it's to stop and just let go. Many of us treat the Christian life as this add-on or enhancement in our life. Like, I'm going through life. I need a little hope. I'm just going to grab it and throw it on. And part of what he's saying here as a shepherd is, no, you need to stop. Here's what we do. Instead of stopping, though, we end up trading in something for something else. Like, I, I remember I, when I don't have a car anymore, but when I had a car, I used to love to, like, add upgrades to my car, like better tires, a new stereo, whatever, whatever it was. If there was an upgrade, I'd save up to try to buy it. But imagine, like, trying to put leather seats in your car while you're driving 50 miles an hour down the road or change one tire at a time while the other three are working. Or at a stereo, you know, somebody's working on your stereo while you're driving in and out of traffic. That's sometimes how we treat our Christian life. We're just waiting for this next little piece to add on, and we never stop and actually allow a new car, a new life to come in. And here's how this plays out. We don't take time to stop. Fears like the fear of uncertainty, our loneliness, our being unloved, they overwhelm us. We start trying to put into practice things we learn here in church or in small group or in personal Bible study without stopping and removing the old way of thinking first. And our life gets muddled and messy. This is why we go, man, I should have hope, but man, I'm living in fear. It feels like it's a messy, muddled life that we're living. I remember growing up, I used to love chocolate milk, but I loved it with certain things. And one day, I, one thing I didn't like chocolate milk was with chocolate chip cookies. I wanted regular milk with chocolate chip cookies. I'm just I'm picky that way still. But I remember I was, mom was making me a snack one day, and she had made chocolate chip cookies, and she had made chocolate milk. And I was like, Mom, I don't want chocolate. Can you take the chocolate out of the milk? Well, at that point, you can't, right? I mean, it's stirred in. It's all mixed in together. Like, you have to empty that and put something new in. And this is what stopping does. It's stopping and saying, you know what? I need to stop all that I'm doing. All of these fears can be crippling. The fear that creates certain ways of thinking in our living wise can be destructive and make our minds and hearts feel muddled and messy. And to experience this new life of hope, we can't just throw something else in there. We have to stop, lie down, and be still. Stop your mind, stop your body, stop your soul for a minute, and engage fully in God's presence. I mean, this is a physical practice. Maybe this afternoon, you just need to do that. You need to go find you a quiet spot and say, God, I need to remove the, what's being poured in my mind from social media, from other people, from just, and like, I need you. I need you to fill me first, become overwhelmed him and begin to find contentment in him. Not in solutions, not in how this is going to be solved and the next step, but just in his presence. My relationship when I do this with the Lord is now a starting point. I start to move forward. I experience everything else through that perspective and trying, instead of trying to see him through the perspective of the circumstances I'm walking through. The second thing that he tells us to do is found in the last part of verse 3. He says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The second word that I want you to grab on this morning, so stop is the first one, be overwhelmed with his presence, and the second one is abide. Stay with him. Don't just take that moment of stopping and then, okay, I'm good, and leave him behind. Abiding means that we start to walk through life arm in arm, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, through whatever we're facing. It is an us mentality instead of a me and you mentality. God is not a recharging station that we, we go out, spend all of our spiritual energy on, have to face the difficulty, and then we come back to him and get charged back up and then go out again, come and get charged back up and go out. God is somebody that walks with us. We take him with us. He is a constant, present power source in our life. He talks about here the valley of the shadow of death. This is not just flowery language. It's actually a real place uh, on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was very rocky. It was a difficult path where unexperienced shepherds and their flocks were often ambushed by thieves and they would fall and stumble often to their death. It was a difficult place to transgress. However, experienced shepherd knew exactly the right paths to take, the paths of righteousness. And it was difficult for thieves to get to them because they knew the way and the thieves didn't, and it provided them the solid footing. And it says that their rod and their staff, he, he protects them with their staff. And I don't know about you, but I don't typically think of a rod and a staff as a form of protection. Uh, you know, it's, you see that, you, you know, do you beat the sheep with it? And what he would actually do is this, as sheep couldn't make it from one ledge to another, he would actually use the crook of his staff to reach around and grab the sheep and pull it up and over and help it across until it was either strong enough or knew the way itself. And there were times that the only way to get over was through the rod and the staff and the crook of the staff bringing the sheep over. And that is being close to your shepherd. You can't do that if you're far off. When you get into the most difficult moments of your life, it's not running saying, where is God? It's taking, allowing God to take hold of you. We can't really learn to abide with Christ and experience the next part of our journey until we have sometimes walked some difficult times with him. Until we walk through challenging times. You know, the way I can trust you more, the way you trust me more, the way I trust other people in my life more, is we go through difficulties together. We take steps of faith with one another. And walking through times of fear with God is a beautiful way to actually grow in your depth of following and obedience to him. The last word that I want us to look at is found in the last couple of verses of Psalm 23, and it says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy me shall, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The last step of this journey of from fear to hope is embracing this idea. The word I want to use is to express then hope to others. To others. So we we stop, allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, take the other influences out, allow Christ to be our primary influence, the lens through we look at. And then we don't leave him, we abide with him. He's our power source to get us through whatever difficulty we're facing today and tomorrow. But then once we cross over that, we start to call back to the other sheep and encourage them. It's all right. Trust. And we start to express it back to them. Look at the imagery of this passage. He says, I'm preparing a table in the presence of your enemies. Your cup overflows 
with goodness and mercy as you follow me. These are images of bringing hope in spite of whatever fearful situation you may find yourself in. Who sets up a table in the presence of their enemies, right? Who has lunch when the enemy is bearing down on them? He says, it's okay, I'm here. We have enough and actually it'd be better if we all came together to the table. When you're anointing with oil, it's not just enough for you to have so much left over. You have a chance to share with other people. I have a firm belief and see it taught in this passage and others that in times of uncertainty, the role of a follower of Christ is this. It's not to run, not to hide, not to panic, not to become overwhelmed and crippled with fear, but the role of a Christ follower is one to walk into the darkness, walk into difficulties, walk into the trials and tribulations and bring aid, bring relief and bring hope. Not to run from difficulties and darkness, but to run into it with hope and healing. Now, I don't say that to say disregard your own safety, do whatever, to put everything behind you. I, I just, I've heard all week as I've seen people making posts, especially some churches online. Uh, I, I heard this a number of times. The number one goal of our church is the safety of your family. And that sounds great. And I'm not saying I want an unsafe environment here. But I'm going to tell you, biblically, that's not what we teach. Sometimes, biblically, it's challenging us to go into difficult and dark places, to take the hope we've experienced to those who haven't yet. And this is the beauty of the Christian faith to me. It's not, I've solved this problem and now I'm running away. It's I've experienced hope to overcome whatever mountain I'm facing, and now I'm going back to those that are caught in fear and caught without hope. Once you hear this, whatever happens in the coming days and weeks, if we aren't able to meet as a church here in this building, this isn't a loss for us. If we move all of our services online, the truth, the measure of our success as followers of Christ is not this. It's not by my, how many people tune into our service. Instead, it will be how by many of us turn up to meet the needs of others in our faith family, in our community, our city, our nation, and our world during this time. This is why we're doing what we're doing with the LIC relief option. What can we do? We can't do everything. You can't do everything. But what is it that God has called us to express the hope that we've experienced back out? We'll be a church that we set up a table of blessing in the midst of a cultural wars that are going on. Will we be a church that instead of hoarding our resources, shares with others out of the overflow of what God has given us? Will we be a church that allows goodness and mercy to follow us instead of leaving behind skid marks of fear as we retreat for our own safety and security? I pray that we would be a church that expresses hope to this world. My question for you today is this. Are you walking the pathway of fear or of hope? Are you letting the Lord shepherd you through this uncertain time? Or are you just wanting out of it? Today, I want to challenge us to live with hope, to live with confidence of our salvation in Christ in our lives, not because he will remove us from difficult circumstances, but because he will lead us through these difficult circumstances and allow us to take his hope to those that are in need as well. Will you pray with me this morning? God, in days like today, it is easy, easy to live in fear. God, I admit, I wake up in fear some days. I hear news, and it brings fear right back into my life. I see stats, 
and I'm overwhelmed. But God, would you help us just in this moment right now start the process by just stopping? It's not that we're disregarding information or best practices, but God, we are allowing you to be our foundation. You are the one that we see this through. Your eyes of grace, your eyes of hope, your eyes of peace in the midst of a storm. And we stop this morning. We just stop for a minute. Whether we're sitting in this room or watching online or wherever we, we are, God, we just stop for a minute and become overwhelmed by you. Become amazed by you instead of amazed by a virus. Overwhelmed by you instead of crippled by fear. And then, God, I pray as we stop in this moment that you'd help us to walk out of here with you and not just walk out in victory, but, God, to walk out looking for places that we can share hope as well. And help us to be people who truly set up a table in the presence of our enemies who have so much abundance in our life. We're overflowing in goodness and mercy. We are pouring into other people's lives. God, allow that to be true of us today.